0: Alrighty. How good is it to be back? How good is it to be in level one and getting more freedom and be able to get out and about. I was at a um, youth pastors gathering at the beginning of the month. We have them monthly and um, we uh, were just going around and uh, sharing our, our, our highlight of lockdown. And the first thing that came to mind for me, I don't think it was the most profound um, highlight or the number one highlight, but the first thing that came to mind was, um, we've got two doors in our house, well, we've got more than two doors, but two doors um, which weren't clicking like shut. It was an absolute nightmare for anyone with OCD. And I finally cracked and so I just took it all apart and filed it down and then put it back together. And then the doors clicked shut and I was like, oh. That noise was so good for a good week or so. It was, it was very, very satisfying. And uh, that's kind of a silly example, but it's, it's kind of getting um, the vibe um, I'm going for this morning, and that is, what is the positive legacy you're bringing with you, or we are bringing with us, I should say, including me, from lockdown? What are we bringing with us? Um, that was a silly example where I hear that click every day, and it's some cool legacy, but what are we bringing with us from lockdown? So, fishing, or fushing, and I was really hoping that would get Mike Button back, but it hasn't worked. Um, We're going to look at two passages this morning. So the first is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and we're just going to get stuck in. They should be on the screen in a moment, um, and I'll just read it out in a second. Okay, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men and women. Alrighty, John 21, 1 to 8. You may hear some similarities. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and... And two of his other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. 2 to 4 to 3 to 2.5 to 2, and now we're down to 1. And um, there's just kind of three things I want to highlight from this, um, these two passages as we're sort of navigating our way forward and looking ahead now and sussing out the lay of the land. So if we could have the next slide, please, that'd be awesome. Thank you. So the first thing is Jesus told the disciples to put their nets out. The second thing is Jesus told the disciples where to put their nets And then the third thing is the disciples responded differently to Jesus' advice in the second passage compared to the first passage. So we're going to launch into the first part, which is Jesus told the disciples to put their nets out. The disciples heard Jesus' words and they responded. Hearing and following God's words, I mean, this is stuff at the very center of being a Christian—and Um, following Jesus, as Tegan has just shared from the very start of her journey. During lockdown, I think there was a huge um, natural window of opportunity for us to just stop and and rest and reset for many of us. And I know there was um, a wide variation. um Oh, hello, that's the wrong page. Um, Yeah, that rest and reset, I think, had a twofold nature to it. And I think the first one, if we could have the next slide, please world-famous, high-quality slides. The first element of that rest and reset was a deepening intimacy with God. So deepening our rhythms of prayer, deepening our our times with Him, deepening our relationship with Him, falling in love with Him afresh. And the second part was reassessing what we're doing. So what do our weekly rhythms look like and, and how are we going about it? I think it was a really big natural window of opportunity for that. So an inner and an outward focus with those two points. Hearing and responding, just like the disciples did in both passages, as they made adjustments as well. Now, I think here's the thing, like, um, change for change's sake is obviously something we're, we're not too interested in getting involved with. Uh, missing out on good change is also um, something we're not too keen on uh, um, on getting involved in as well. But I think there's a, a subtle danger with this as well, of... Um, during that time, and as we press into God, we can skip over the first point of deepening intimacy with him. And, and maybe we, we hear the chat about new normal, which we'll get onto in a moment. And we get hyped up about that, and we change a few things which are partly in our control, partly not in our control. And we feel like, yeah, cool, got the new normal. But we haven't really kind of or we've glossed over that deepening intimacy with God in, in the number one point. Or we've moved on from it very quickly. And I think that's a, a subtle danger on the one hand. But on the flip side, um, I think looking forward, how good would it be if we kept digging into the things which we pressed into during lockdown? Those um, those walks, those um, times with God, the family meals. I mean, there's there's been so many positive testimonies. What happens if we if we kept those rhythms and safeguarded those routines? What if we embedded the change we want to see? If we kept the conversation going with Jesus. And maybe you've already noticed busyness creeping in. I wonder what's already being pushed to the side for you. I've noticed this week it definitely being the case. I've noticed that busyness creeping in. And I love walking and talking with God, particularly usually around nine o'clock at night. And I've just noticed that's been, you know, it's been tempting to push that to one side. And there's a few nights where it has. And maybe you, um, you feel like you've totally missed out on this whole intimacy and reassessing stuff and rest and reset during lockdown. And, and if you do feel like that, first of all, just grace and peace. Um, that's okay. Um, everyone had a different experience during lockdown. Um, but I would also say that that invitation is always there for us. The invitation to go deeper with God is always there. I think lockdown was just a really natural um, window for it. And I think, as well, um, coming into land on this first point, um, I think if we could hit the next slide, that'd be awesome, please. Coming into land on this this first point, I think Sabbath is a, a great opportunity for this rest and reset. Uh, I think some someone emailed you about that this week, but um, yeah, you can check that out. And also, I think building on from this, Andrew did an awesome email last week, just getting some practical nuggets on how we go about um, maintaining the things God's told us and, and deepening the, our existing rhythms and our new rhythms and new change that we've got or, or continuing old things, which are good. I think Robert talked about this last week as well, in a way, and he talked about various practical aspects um, and around positioning, too. And this is not about some sort of um, test as well with the rest and and reset and and the intimacy with God and the reassessing. It's not like, well, I I hit 70% on my intimacy, therefore it's an A grade. Um, It's more just like stirring us and encouraging one another, being like, hey, mate, you know, I I know that that was a really cool time for you, just deepening moments with God. Maybe you were talking with him in the shed as you were cleaning it out and all that sort of stuff. You know, how's that going at the moment? Is busyness creeping in? So it's just encouraging one another. I certainly need that encouragement and appreciate that encouragement. So number two, Jesus told the disciples where to put their nets out. I get very excited about this bit. There was a precision to the disciples' actions when they were casting the net out again. They were not ineffective when they followed Jesus. That's a double negative. They were effective when they followed Jesus. That's a better way of putting it. I know there was, as I said before, there was a wide variation for people in the levels and what you experienced. And I wonder if some people maybe um, feel like they resonate with the disciples of spending a whole night fishing and just catching nothing. You know, tired, worn out, feeling ineffective, maybe work's not going well. Maybe some of you resonate with um, the disciples on that. And and if you do, first and foremost, um, firstly, we stand with you and we empathize with you. And that must be really, really tricky. Um, And I know it has been tricky for for many. But secondly, we want to pray with you and pray for you and look to Jesus together. And I was thinking about this uh, this part, and I don't want to throw out, um, you know, just sound bites. But I get so excited by the fact that we follow a God who created the heavens and earth out of nothing. That Jesus was born of the virgin birth. He rose from death to life that he um, is light in the darkness. And so we want to pray with you and pray into those areas. And then also on the flip side, as we've been hearing, there's been some amazing testimonies. There's been some really cool stories. Family time, personal revelation, realizations, um, changes of routine, deepening of existing stuff like habits and, and stuff you're doing. Like There's been some real cool positives. And there's been heaps of stories coming out and stuff to celebrate. And I love as well, I'm seeing it again this week just in um, staff chats, that this is a place where we really want to champion ideas and dreams um, that come from church family. And so with that, I've got two questions for ideas and dreams. Where is Jesus telling you to cast your net? And are there places you were casting your net before where Jesus is now saying not to cast your net? So where is Jesus telling you to cast your net? Taking that metaphor of the precision in action, hearing Jesus' words and responding. And let me just unpack that second thing of of where was he maybe telling you um, to cast your nets before where now he's maybe not. I think when we um, take up new things or do new things, um, often there's this sense of picking things up and putting things down. And so, for example, if you were at nearly full capacity before lockdown, And you found yourself doing more now than you were before. I I think that raises a few questions, really. Um, Because on the one hand, we want to champion these dreams and ideas. But we also don't want to glorify busyness and burnout. And I think busyness and burnout is often like getting a jug of water and pouring it on the fires of what God's doing. Because we end up just fizzling out, don't we? But we want to see sustained, wise stuff. And we want to, it's it's not one or the other. We we can do both. We can avoid the burnout, but we can champion the the ideas. And I'm aware as well that there's some hard mahi involved in in establishing new stuff and, and taking stuff up at times. But just a thought on burnout there was a precision to what the disciples did. And my hope and prayer across the board is that we have exciting moments as we move forward. We have exciting ideas, exciting dreams, exciting shifts, continuing good stuff we we're already up to and new stuff. I think an interesting point as well from these two passages is that um, Jesus offered advice to the disciples in an area of their life where they had huge amounts of experience, huge amount of routine, huge amount of knowledge, and then along comes a carpenter and tells them, oh, mate, you missed a bit, you know, and... <laughs> It would be interesting to see their reactions. And I think we even see it with Peter a bit. Um, where he's like in the first passage. Mm, and we'll get to that in a moment too. And I think with that, what for ourselves, what are maybe some of the things Jesus is telling us? Which we're like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, no, we know what we're doing in that one. Um, but what are some of those words? What are some of those invitations to put the nets out? And also, choosing to walk uh, in faith is not always initially glamorous. I think that these passages remind us of that. Um, I wonder how the disciples felt pushing the boats out again and putting the nets out again, and all the other mates and people who knew them just watching these guys having not caught anything the whole night, going for it again, following Jesus' words. But boy, is it worth it. Boy, is it worth it. And that comes along now to the the pink elephant in the room stomping around and toting its thingy, um, which is the fact that these guys got a huge huge amount of fish an abundance in fish an absolute abundance and for, for these guys the fish represented the people that they were going to influence that they were going to help meet with God to see them saved and that kingdom of abundance that, that principle of kingdom abundance abundance can pop up in so many different ways and it will look different per person So where is Jesus telling us to cast out our nets right now? And that comes along to the third point, which is um, the disciples responded differently um, to Jesus' advice in the second passage. As I mentioned in the first passage, we see Peter kind of almost verbally processing, saying, well, we have cast out our nets all night but Master, at your words, we'll cast them out again. And I often feel like Peter's the one who verbalizes what all the other disciples are thinking. You know, they wouldn't dare say it themselves, but then Peter's just like, <laughs> before he knows that he's spoken it. Um, and I wonder also in that, sec- in that moment um, whether he just caught a look at Jesus' face and he said, but, you know, we'll put them out in the first passage. In the second passage, the disciples responded Immediately to Jesus' words. And the thing that really struck me with this is they didn't even know for sure at that point that it was Jesus. So maybe they were just used to being positive. Maybe they were just used to seeing the miraculous. Maybe they were just used to things happening. That even some fellow on the shore who they're like, who's this person? They say, okay, let's do it. Let's give it a try without questioning. And then obviously Peter threw himself into the sea. And before anyone thinks, oh, Peter's just, I don't know, he's lost it. He's just gone swimming or something. He is launching himself towards Jesus. He cannot wait for the boat to get there. That desire for intimacy is so high in Peter. He's so passionate. And in the second passage, this is not their first rodeo. They have seen these kingdom principles of hearing Jesus' voice, responding to his words, and acting with precision based on that, They they are used to that pattern and seeing kingdom abundance. They've seen it again and again and again and again and again. And so this new normal phrase, which has been doing the rounds bit at the moment, are we in a new normal? And I think for some this has occurred, whether they like it or not, through forces outside of their control. For others, it's been through voluntary decisions. For others, it's a combination of the two, and others are sat there thinking, well, that ain't a new normal for me. And there's a wide variation of of thoughts and experiences with that. And I think the the question is, for me, that I I wanted to chuck out there is, um, and I think it's maybe this is a Peter moment of saying a question which we're all thinking, is it going to last? Is the new normal stuff going to last? Because there was similar chat after the earthquakes, right? Of new normal, everything's going to change, and some things did. You know, a very obvious one is the landscape of the city centre has changed. But maybe, I I know talking to some people, the change didn't go as deep and as wide as they expected or was sustained for that long. So I think my two cents on it is I think there's going to be at the very least pockets of change on a local, regional, national, international scale. And you could argue that in many ways that's that's sort of an example of that is what's happening in the States at the moment. Um, Whether that's entirely COVID-related, that's a whole different topic for another day. But I, I would also add that I think COVID, COVID reminds me of being at school in science, um, and in, in terms of culture, uh, cultural change and, and, and what it's done for cultural change, we, um, we sometimes would have like uh, sodium and water, have you done those experiments? I think it's sodium and potassium, we drop them in water and teacher just cuts off a tiny slice and puts it in and it just go. and so we're automatically thinking, how do we get our hands on the whole lump of metal <laughs> and how do we get it in my beaker? Um, I think we succeeded a couple of times. You see these beakers just go... (laughs) uh, Get one of your mates to distract the teacher. Um, But it kind of, for me, without trying to trivialise all the the harm and and the hurt that's come with COVID, which I'm not, but in terms of cultural change, I think COVID's done that. I think it's just blown so much open, wide open, and I think it's caused certain changes. Again, to what extent, we'll see. But I think it's also been a catalyst for other changes. By that, I mean, it's sped up things. And that's the limit of my scientific understanding, blowing things up and the word catalyst. Um. (laughs) But even, um, I I was thinking, taking it even deeper with this point, what about us as Christians? What about us as Christians? You know, the new normal chat and what will actually happen with that? And again, the first thought that came to mind, um, I don't know about first, but the thought that stuck with me is, is the house church movement. Uh, probably, particularly in the early 2000s, there was a lot of people who, um, for a whole number of reasons, got disgruntled or passionate about moving on um, from a church model that, say, we're in right now. And they would start meeting in homes, and they were trying to explore, well, what is church and what does it look like? And I don't want to get onto that topic as a whole right now. But what was something that was really interesting, uh, talking to a couple of my mates who were in it, was. They said we had this hope and expectation that um, the things that disgruntled us and wound us up would change when we shifted into to home church and it would spark this change. And, and the thing they found was the shell changed, but the behavior and, and beliefs and expectations did not, which was really interesting. And so I use that example to come back to when we want to see real change, it's an inner and it's an outer and it comes back to that whole being with God, that intimacy, that heart change. And then from that place of responding and acting. Ideally, with precision, as we follow Jesus, but we're human. No one's perfect, but you get the gist. And as Christians, we want to see a move of God, right? Um, I've got an insatiable hunger for a move of God. And sometimes it involves being too hard on myself and all that sort of stuff. But I I just want to see God move. And I'm totally capable of moments of apathy, don't get me wrong. Um, But that that passion is definitely there. And if we want to see things kick off, if we want to see a move of God, I think it starts with the inner place. I think there's there's multiple key factors, but I think it starts with the inner place. And it starts with a heart change. Or a heart deepening, I should say, um, and a heart shifts, hearing from him and following his lead. And I think if you look at um, the Welsh revival, if you look at the um, Scottish revival, Argentinian revival, if you look at um, James O. Fraser in China, if you look at the awakenings, if you look at all these things, one of the common denominators in all of those is people going and spending time with God in prayer and deepening that. And I'm not talking about, um, well, for some, there were amazing people who could do what I'm about to describe. But for a lot of people, it wasn't right. I'm waking up at 4 a.m., I'm going to do three hours of prayer, and I'm going to fast for the next 300 days. And, you know, they, they, they made those incremental changes, that phrase that John has used before. They, they started building and building and building and building. And, they, you know, David Wilkerson decided, I'm actually going to sell my TV. He just made those changes. Um, Not to be a killjoy, he was still having fun and and enjoying life to the full, but he just wanted to spend time with God. And I think if if there was a real, full, godly, new normal, revival, move of God immediately around the corner, I think this would be the biggest giveaway. And that is that there would be people who, us as, as Christians, but also people in and outside of the church, would have a deepening, unstoppable hunger and thirst for prayer. And we will be encouraging one another because we have off days, don't we? You know, sometimes we look outside and we're like, it's cold. I don't want to go walk and pray, God. It's nice and warm in here. But we will just be spurring each other on and then the truth that it's always good when you spend time with Him would deepen. You know, all this sort of stuff would just snowball. And let me put it this way. Um, if we had another lockdown and there was a move of God around the corner, immediately around the corner, and, and, and this prayer was happening, or I, th- I think if we knew this move of God was around the corner and immediately going to happen, and we posed the question of um, what has been the highlight of lockdown? What, is, what, has, been, what has gone well? What has worked well? Now, we can talk about um, introvert time and fixing doors and cleaning your garage and your shed, and I've, I've loved all of that. I've done all three of those things. I haven't had a shed, but I've cleaned the garage, and that's good. Like, I, I get a real buzz out of that, um, all three of those things. And other things, family time. There's so much good to mention, but the number one thing bubbling up in all of us would be, man, deepening times with God has just been really good. It hasn't been guilt-trippy. It hasn't been from condemnation. I've just, I've just made those incremental changes, and I've been encouraging one another and been encouraged. And so if we could have the band up, that would be awesome, please. Um, and I'll leave you with this. Um, James O. Fraser, if you haven't heard of James O. Fraser, um, he's an awesome missionary who got called to China in the early 20th century. Uh, he's one of my heroes, and I've got a couple of books, uh, which are kind of biographies of his um, in the office area if you want one afterwards. But one winter, and this guy knew about prayer. He knew about depression. He knew about perseverance, and he knew about disappointment, but he increasingly knew about prayer. Um, he decided one winter that rather than walking two days up to a village that he was he was connected to, and then spending about two days getting the service ready and running a service, and then another two days walking back, he decided during the winter that he would... Just pray for these guys for the six days that he would normally spend with them. So six days here, six days there. And then he would see how they were doing at the end of winter. So he did this, and he ministered to the people he was connected with locally uh, during that time. And at the end of the winter, he connected with these guys again, and they had just grown so much. And then he realized that they had grown even more than the people he'd been actually in face-to-face contact with which I think was a humbling moment for him. And that's not negating meeting together. Meeting together is special, absolutely, and Paul is very much encouraging that. And these guys were actually meeting just without James, so they were still meeting up in the up in their villages. But that taught James O'Phraser something very special about the power of prayer. And if you want to sum it up, prayer causes things to happen that wouldn't otherwise have happened. So that's just a... a kind of it's not just what's on my heart but that's what i kind of am picking up on at the moment so it's kind of just a (laughs) but i hope that's helpful and those three points of jesus told the disciples to put their nets out jesus told the disciples where to put their nets out and the disciples responded differently to jesus advice in the second passage so what legacy from the levels are we continuing and safeguarding and where is jesus asking you to cast your net now